You're listening to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Midweek Podcast. Uh, I apologize. This past week we had Sarah Crane preach about uh, uh, kind of, you know, connecting with God, hearing his voice, allowing him to uh, trim us and uh, cut off dead things and help us grow. And it was a beautiful message. And I could have sworn I hit the record button, but apparently I did not. So that's why you were missing that this week. And then as far as the midweek podcast goes, uh, it seemed like a good time for a natural break right now. We had just pretty much got to the end of Abraham and Sarah's story in Genesis, and I had to finish up some editing on uh, the audiobook version of my latest uh, fiction, The Rise of the Water Kingdom. Now, this is a big allegorical fantasy um, that uh, is meant to retell the gospel story. Uh, with uh, elements that people like me kind of enjoy, you know, with dragons and and ghosts and zombies and all these kinds of... I know it sounds ridiculous. Gospel story with all that stuff. But it's allegory, you know? So, like, things represent other things. It's like one big parable, uh, but it's it's very easy to see where my overlapping themes are with, with the gospel and all that. And for me, it was a book trying to bring to light... Uh, so much of the gospel story and the main themes that are there that I missed my entire life and just didn't understand really what the gospel was about. If you're like me, you've grown up and you've been told that the gospel is, look, Jesus died for your sins, and if you choose him, you're saved, and that's kind of what the gospel is. But the gospel is much more than that. It's about the installation of the kingdom of heaven on the earth, uh, and the good news about Jesus as King, and yes, that He's come to save us and and take a uh, free us from sin and to save us from our sins. But there's much more there, and so that was kind of the heart behind this nonfiction was to really just kind of hone in on all that. So since we're at a natural breaking point, I just thought uh, since I didn't have time to get around to a podcast this week on the off chance that you wanted to dive into the first few chapters of this book and kind of sense it out that I would just throw it on the podcast. Now, look, this isn't a sale or anything. Uh, um, if you want a copy of the book and I, I just can't give physical copies cause Amazon makes those themselves and that would cost me money. So I can't give those away for free, <laughs> but I can give you PDFs for free and I can give, uh, when the audiobook comes out in about one to two weeks, because now it's been submitted, I'm just waiting for all the approval process to go through. After that comes out, I'll have codes on Audible for the rest of the book as well. So I'm not making a pitch here. I'll give you free copies if you would like a PDF or an Audible copy. If you would like any of those, just go to our webpage, 1208greenwood.com. And then look for the Q&A section or a contact form, whatever you want. Just fill out uh, I would like a copy and we will uh, send that your way. But for now, I introduce to you the first few chapters of this allegorical fantasy called The Rise of the Water Kingdom.
Chapter 1 Ghost Stories Brennan sat on a decaying log deep in the woods, close to the dying flames of a campfire he had started some time ago. His sister Callie laid fast asleep on the other side of the embers, with a heavy knit blanket covering everything but her dark hair. With his head in one hand, he used his other to stroke the ashes with a long stick he had been using to keep the fire going all night. His eyes were heavy with sleep, and he had been shaking his head sporadically to keep himself awake from the lullabies of crickets and the hypnotizing glow of fireflies. He would have given in to their song by now had it not been for his anxiety. It wasn't the open air that made him nervous. The woods had proven safe enough over the past two days, but Callie's cough had grown more vicious and desperate by the day. At this point, it seemed like a long shot that they'd get to the hospital before the unknown disease had completely taken over. Brennan had noticed the signs far too late, it seemed. It started with migraines and evolved into long naps, followed by a sore throat. The first two conditions seemed nothing to worry about, but now all Brennan could do was worry. Not only should he have sought help sooner, but he had next to no money to care for the bill he would certainly inherit. The sound of Callie viciously coughing in her sleep stopped Brennan from drifting off. He stood up quickly to spur himself awake, as well as to protect himself. He could have sworn he had seen, or felt, a shadowy figure hovering over his shoulder. His heart raced as he walked around the campfire and picked up twigs and branches to throw into the dying flames. You really need to sleep, Brennan told himself. You're going to get Callie killed if you don't. Maybe you would have reached the hospital by now if you had slept better the last few days. Her death is going to be on your hands if you don't get it together. Then how will you live with yourself? You already waited too long to take her in for help, you idiot. And why? Because you were afraid to spend money? Brennan knit his brow angrily at himself. You're so stupid he whispered. And you don't deserve to live, said the shadow over his shoulder. And you don't deserve to live, Brennan said to himself. The world would be better without you anyways, the shadow's voice reverberated through his mind. The world would be better without me, Brennan whispered angrily. Perhaps the most humane thing you can do is kill her quietly, and then yourself, said the shadow. Brennan paused. His lips both stung and felt numb at the same time. What had he been saying? Say it, said the shadow. Uh, I, stuttered Brennan. What? Suddenly Brennan realized he was staring right into a dark and shadowy hallucination of himself that had deep caverns for eyes. It had a tail that seemed to stretch from Callie's stomach. Brennan's heart pounded. Perhaps, stated a smooth, deep voice, perhaps the most loving thing you can do for her is to end her sickness while she's sleeping, and then end your own pain. The spirit tilted its head to the left understandingly and smiled with the right side of its mouth. Of course, you would never want to do such a thing. That's completely understandable. But tough situations often require tough decisions, it continued. The bags under Brennan's eyes spoke of his desperation. This was madness, was it not? A hallucination of sorts playing upon the strings of a dark part of his psyche. He would never do such a thing. 
Would he? The hazy vision of himself morphed into an innocent portrayal of Callie that had a deep look of sadness underneath her cavern eyes. Do it for me, it spoke. Like you did for Mom, raised a voice through his mind. He, of course, hadn't taken his mother's life. She had lost it trying to save him from falling through the ice one winter. It was hardly his fault. The winter had been so heavy that year, and no one could tell the difference between solid ground and a frozen lake. In fact, she had led him onto the lake, unaware that she had done so, until she heard the thunderous crack of the ice breaking. In that moment, she made the quick decision to push Brennan backwards, and then fell through, never to be seen again. The memory played out in Brennan's mind more vividly than ever before, as tears began to flow from his eyes. He knew that what had happened wasn't his fault. Everyone in town had reiterated that to him. But his soul had never fully agreed with him. And now all of that confusion and inner turmoil had been drawn up before him and acknowledged by this... this thing. Do it for me, like you did for Mom, said the dark vision of Callie. Now wait just a second, said Brennan. I didn't do anything to Mom. Oh? questioned the shadow. Hadn't that winter left her with a pretty severe cough herself? Brennan flinched. Well, sure, but that wasn't the same. It wasn't? asked the ghost. Are you sure you didn't subconsciously lead her onto the ice to end her sickness? Didn't you notice you were on the ice? Where were all the trees? A confused look came over Brennan's face. I mean, I suppose it's possible I wondered about that, but I was a young child at the time. I can hardly be blamed for... A cold wind blew out what was left of the fire as the spirit vanished and the crickets stopped chirping. Even the fireflies stopped glowing. It was pitch black and the whole forest was unnaturally still. Callie! exclaimed Brennan as he stumbled through the darkness for her body. He tripped over her feet and fell to the ground. He then squirmed up to her and held her tightly to protect her. He couldn't see her face, but he could feel a fever radiating from her forehead. Brennan, said an imitation of his mother's voice that echoed through every corner of the forest. He knew it was an imitation because there was something sickly about it. It had her tone, but not her character. Thank you for leading me on to the ice. I was very sick at the time, and you stopped me from having to endure what Callie is going through now. Brennan began to cry as he held Callie even tighter. Please, said the imitation, do what you need to do. Do what you did for me. There was silence for a moment. And then Brennan's voice pierced through the darkness. No, I will never do what you say. And what you say never happened. The campfire suddenly lit up like a bonfire and burned Brennan's forearms. It was so hot that he instantly let go of his sister and rolled away. He then stood up to pull her away from the flames, but she began to stand up on her own. Then I will take your life before I submit myself to the flames, she declared, her eyes completely black. Brennan was surprisingly coherent of the situation at this point. While he knew this was indeed his sister's body in front of him, he knew the voice was not hers. Her words carried the same problem as his mother's a moment ago. Right tone, wrong character. 
she grabbed him by the arms with an unnatural strength and tossed him towards the bonfire. The spirit snickered. Would you like to do the honors or should I? It said as it pinned him to the ground and started to push his right hand toward the flame. Brennan cried out as the heat seared his flesh a little bit more with every inch. Callie, he yelled. Callie, I know you're in there. Come back to me. Callie is gone, hissed the spirit. Or will be soon, it smirked. Brennan screamed as his fingers began to enter the flame and blister, when suddenly the bonfire dissipated to embers. Chapter 2 Fireflies Suddenly the spirit stepped back. What is that unbearable noise? it hissed. The forest went quiet once again as Brennan's ears perked up, searching for the same sound the spirit was hearing. He heard the faint sound of something, but his fingers hurt too much to concentrate. Callie fell to her knees and put her hands over her ears, while her eyes searched rapidly in every direction. That's enough, barked the spirit. No more, please, I beg you. Stop the torment. Brennan could hear the noise a little more clearly now. It sounded like a man was humming in the distance. It was a beautiful little melody, an earworm bound to get stuck in anyone's head. In fact, it was so beautiful that the pain in Brennan's hand began to fade to the point that he forgot it was even there. The fireflies began to flash to the tune, almost as though they were sheep music, their bioluminescence in sync with the pitch and length of each note hummed. Stop it! screeched the spirit, but the noise didn't stop. Instead, it grew louder and louder, as did the crickets. In fact, Brennan could have sworn they were chirping in harmony to the song. The noise crescendoed as the fireflies joined in with an unblinking steady light. Brennan slowly rose to his feet and looked at the bugs in wonder. He imagined that this was what it must look like to stand in the middle of space and look at the stars. Even though it was the middle of the night, he could see for miles in every direction. And he could also now see the man humming the tune as he approached them. Tears fell from Callie's cheeks. Why? The spirit asked as she fell on her side with her hands over her ears. You've come too soon. We still had more time. The man knelt down next to Callie and looked into her tear-soaked eyes as Brennan watched from a few feet away. He could see a change in her expression, a look in her eyes that seemed more herself than the evil spirits. The man put his hand on the girl's cheek and looked deep into her soul. Hello, he said with a peaceful smile that changed the heavy atmosphere around him. I was shown a glimpse of you here this morning, so I've come to meet you. Callie raised herself onto her knees and then looked into the man's eyes. She opened her mouth to say something, but then her eyes turned dark and she hissed. The man didn't flinch, though his demeanor did turn serious. He just looked deeper into Callie's eyes and then said, Go. Instantly, a shadowy residue evaporated out of Callie's back and dissipated into the air, causing the whole forest to suddenly feel a bit lighter and freer. Brennan could have sworn that in the middle of it all, he saw a bright light shoot out of the man's chest and expel the spirit from Callie, but it happened so quickly that he wasn't sure if it was just the fireflies or a flicker from the campfire. Stand up, dear one, said the man as his face returned to a smile. 
Callie looked cautiously into his eyes. It's okay, I know you're tired, but have faith and find new strength. Brennan's eyes were wide open as the stranger took Callie's hand and pulled her to her feet. She looked like a completely different person. Her skin no longer looked sickly, her eyes no longer tired, and her facial expression finally looked like her own. She cleared her throat to test the soreness and found none. Though she was full of strength, she immediately collapsed into the man's chest and cried tears of overwhelming joy. The man held her compassionately as Brennan stood at a distance, unsure of what to say. You're looking a bit better too, said the man as he pointed towards Brennan's hand. Brennan held it up in the bright light of the fireflies. There were no blisters, no sign that there had ever been any physical harm done to him. Chapter 3 New Names Who are you? asked Brennan. And then, catching a subtle glow coming from the man's body, he asked, What are you? The man laughed as he patted Callie softly on the back. Whatever do you mean, what am I? I mean, there's like an unnatural glow about you, answered Brennan. Not to mention the whole thing with the fireflies and the crickets and that... that demon? You see a glow, do you? The man smirked. Brennan tilted his head and raised an eyebrow in attempts to deduce if the glow was reality or the onset of sleep deprivation. It had been a strange night, and reality wasn't really working the way he had always known it to. Ah, uh, he winced. Do you not see it? Sometimes he smiled. It's typically not visible to the human eye. If you're seeing it, it's only because the Creator himself is allowing you to. The Creator? asked Brennan. Indeed, said the man as he released Callie and walked towards Brennan. He took Brennan's hand and surveyed the healing. And you know what that means? I do? asked Brennan in confusion and amusement. Means you and I are connected now the man said, staring intently at Brennan's fingers. Does it hurt? he asked. Uh, no, not at all, Brennan replied. Good, said the man as he slapped his right hand into Brennan's hand and shook it. The name's Sarks. Brennan, he replied slowly. And this is my sister Callie. Yes, yes, I know your names, said Sarks. I was told them earlier. Told them? Callie asked with intrigue in her voice. Surely not the weirdest thing that's happened tonight, returned Brennan. Sarks let out a heavy laugh. <laughs> Fair enough. Brennan couldn't help but smile that his joke had been well received. But yes, I was told your names ahead of time. And not only that, but I was also told your new names. A complete stranger wants to rename us, thought Brennan. Okay, maybe that's the weirdest thing that's happened tonight. I mean, I wouldn't consider it the weirdest thing, Sark said with a grin as though he had heard Brennan's very thought. From the creator's perspective, weird is anything outside of his will. So if he would like to bestow upon you a new name, well, nothing could be more normal, really. Uh, look, sir, started Brennan. I perceive you are a wizard, but... A wizard, you say? Sarks cut him short. A wizard? I thought you said you saw the glow. 
Yes, a spell of wizardry, if ever there was one, said Brennan. Sarks laughed. How can your eyes be open to reality, and yet your perception be so faulty? I'm sorry, Brennan said, throwing his hands in the air. I don't have a lot of boxes to organize tonight's events in. Then allow me to give you a few to help you out, said Sarks. I am not a wizard that I should perform wizardry, or a magician that I should do magic. I did not appeal to demons or ghosts or spirits or fairies to free your sister from those that made her their home. But I felt like I saw magic, said Brennan. Something like a light that came out of you when you cast it out. You mean the spirit of light? said Sarks as he began to glow once again. I guess, shrugged Brennan. That's very different from magic, said Sarks. He is the spirit of the one and only God, the Creator, and he guides and empowers me. He shows me what the Creator is doing, and I act it out for others. I see it too now, Callie exclaimed. I see the light too. Sarks had become so bright that Brennan had to shield his eyes with his hand. Soon the glow diminished, and Brennan was able to see Sarks giving off a quiet chuckle. All right, you two, it's time to go. Sark said. But before we do, you must receive your new names. Brennan, you will now be known as Mason. And Callie, you will be called Junia. The spirit of light bolted from Sark's and knocked them to the ground, flooding the siblings with warmth and love. Chapter 4 The Beach the siblings arose with the sun as different people. Rays of light beamed brightly across the ocean sky and warmed the sand below them. What on earth? Mason mumbled under his breath as he slowly sat up and tried to get his bearings. He rubbed the sleep from the center of his eyes with his thumb and pointer finger and wiped the sand off his cheek. Then, in a moment of panic, he realized that he didn't see his sister anywhere and he leapt to his feet to find her. He looked left, then right, and then towards the ocean. He felt his blood coursing through his temple. Callie! He screamed at the top of his lungs, his voice breaking. What? She asked as she slowly arose from her slumber, clutching her forehead as though his scream had given her an instant headache. The pressure immediately dropped in his temple as he turned behind him to see his sister safe and sound. He dropped to his knees and put his hands on her cheeks. Are you okay? he asked. I'm fine, Junia replied. More than fine, I think. Actually, I, I don't think I've ever felt quite this good. Mason gazed into her eyes and saw a certain kind of peace in them that began to calm his nerves. As he settled down, he began to realize that he, too, felt the same way. He couldn't help but admit that something was different. There was a certain beauty hovering about him or in him. It was as though beauty was a living entity that he could possess, or was it that beauty possessed him? It wasn't a beauty that was acknowledgeable by sight necessarily, but rather something that one might recognize on a spiritual level, like a supernatural beauty of sorts. Mason could see it in his sister's eyes and feel it all over in his own body. Look at you guys, said Sarks as he gestured with open arms. You aren't what you were. I can see it in your eyes. 
I don't quite understand it, but I know that's true, smiled Junia. I can feel it in my bones, or deeper than that, like my very marrow is infected. I don't know that infection is the right word, smiled Sarks. If anything, it's the opposite. You are, at least for the time being, as fully human as you can be. You are new creations with new names and new purpose. Mason recounted the events of the night before. Mason, he said aloud. You said my name was Mason. And Junia, his sister chimed in. Indeed, replied Sarks. But why? she asked. Why what? asked Sarks. Why the new names? she elaborated. Sarks grinned. Well, names typically imply purpose, so I would imagine it has to do with that. If you don't understand them now, then the spirit of light will make their meaning clear in time. Suddenly a wave washed just far enough ashore to wet the bottom of their feet. Their heels sunk slightly into the newly wet sand as the wave pulled back into the ocean. There was something about the water that seemed pleasing to them. Even the icy ocean temperatures left something to be desired. Sarks caught the glimmer in Mason's eye. The sea grows hungry for you, he said. For both of you. Mason continued staring at his feet. The water is insatiable, he admitted. Very much so, Junia added. The cold wave made Mason's foot feel like it was burning, like how one's skin feels after being out in the snow too long. But despite the pain, for some reason he longed to be submerged in the water. The siblings slowly walked closer to the shore as though in a trance. Freedom is beckoning you from under the ocean, but it comes at a great price, Sark said from the distance. Anything would be worth it, said Junia as she stared at the waves. Mason nodded in agreement. Suddenly, Sarks was right behind them speaking into their ears. Then you must pay with your lives, he said. Both Mason and Junia broke out of their trance and turned around in surprise to see Sarks so close. Even more shocking was the fact that the beach was nowhere to be found. All they could see was the icy cold waters of freedom in every direction, including underneath them. They gasped at the sight of their feet standing on the waves in the middle of the ocean, but they had no time to react. For Sarks put three fingers on both of their foreheads and pushed them backwards into the water. The two fell over in slow motion as the back of their heads met the waves. They could see every droplet of water splash around them from the force of their bodies colliding with the waves. They listened as the treble of the current was blotted out by the base of the ocean as their ears were slowly submerged. Both of the siblings could tell the moment they hit the water that they would not be bouncing back up. They had no buoyancy. And as the last parts of their bodies were submerged into the icy cold waters, they made their peace with the air and embraced freedom. The kind that required the price of a life a premise that struck Mason as a strange and yet desirable kind of slavery. Chapter 5 Conviction Mason and Junia gasped at the same time, unable to hold their breath any longer. Large bubbles floated out of their mouths and rose towards the blurry sun as their lungs filled with water. They were dead now. They knew it. Yet at the same time, they were alive. 
They thought their final gasp would leave them fading into the darkness, but instead the ocean began to light up around them as they continued to fall deeper and deeper. The water that they thought would kill them instead became their fuel, as though they had become a different kind of creature. True, they still had bodies made of skin and felt in many regards very much the same, but at the same time they knew something had truly changed. Perhaps they had just never seen themselves so clean before. It was as though every speck of dirt and grime was being washed off of them in the frigid waters. They could see it coming off their skin and rising towards the surface. Mason was surprised to see so much dirt leave his hands. By all means, he had always thought that dirt had been his very skin. But it was obvious now that it had been dirt all along, stubborn and caked onto every inch of his body. It was as though he was being made new. Tears bubbled out of Junia's eyes as the dirt was washed off her arms. She had never been comfortable in her own skin. Something had always felt off about her body, as though she could be more beautiful if she spent more time doing herself up. Of course, even when she did do herself up, she never believed anyone's compliments. You look beautiful tonight, they'd say. No, I don't, she'd reply quickly, convinced that everyone was a liar. But now, for the first time, she believed. She was beautiful, gorgeous even. As the dirt lifted off of her skin, she felt like she could see it form into words. Ugly, gross, short, underwhelming. And as each word floated away, she felt more and more secure in herself. The words tried to latch back onto her, but they couldn't seem to get a hold on her. Junia, a voice breathed inside her head as an incredible warmth overtook her freezing bones. You have always been beautiful. Junia's eyes sprung wide open as she inhaled a deep breath of the intoxicating water. Turn to me and I will make you even more beautiful. To the naked eye, she didn't necessarily appear any different, but she knew the voice spoke truth. Something had been triggered in her that felt nearly impossible to undo. A truth had been spoken that was too big to be covered by a lie. Then the waters grew colder, and she was suddenly overcome with incredible conviction. Memories began to come to Callie's mind, memories so vivid that they seemed to play out in the water around her. She turned to her left and saw a video of herself throwing up into some weeds a habit she had been practicing for some time in efforts to become what she once considered beautiful. She then turned right and saw herself staring at her friends with a deep envy, perhaps even a hatred. She believed that they had what she needed and that if she could just get a little bit of it for herself, she'd be better off. In front of her, she saw an image of a beautiful grown woman that looked like everything she aspired to be, sitting on a beach dock with an attractive man next to her. She knew that just yesterday, such a future would have been a dream come true. But here underwater, even her eyes felt as though they had been made new, and all these images had a displeasure in them that she hadn't seen before. While the taste of vomit had never been enjoyable, she had always felt a strange measure of success after having thrown up. But in the vision, she saw an unnaturally scrawny girl who looked more sickly than attractive, and it filled her with remorse rather than accomplishment. On top of that, 
The girls she had always envied suddenly looked faker than they ever had. Their once beautiful makeup now made them look like clowns, and their clothes were so tight that you couldn't help but laugh. And though the grown version of herself wore a big smile, she knew it was all for show. As she continued to stare at the vision, it began to play in reverse, revealing that the lake below her beach dock was made out of her own tears. Teardrops ascended out of the lake and into her eyes until it had all dried up. Her future had been built on her grief. The weight of a thousand sins suddenly felt as though they were latched onto her shoulders, and she could recollect each one, all at the same time. She closed her eyes tightly as large tears continued to bubble out of her. The conviction was deep, but it was also necessary. Firm, but also gentle. She took a deep breath and then whispered the only thing she could think to say. I'm sorry. And that was that. The weight was instantly gone. The sins unlatched. The final pieces of dirt evaporated. The dirt that was left on her took off at incredible speeds to the right and left, destined to never meet again. Brennan underwent his own experience. The same premise, but different sins. The things he had done to try to fit in with the other boys in town were played out in front of him in detail. To his left, he saw a memory of the time a friend dared him to steal a jewel out of a widow's home. He passed the test with flying colors. To the right, he saw an old friend pressure him to drink until he could drink no more. After he had little sense left in him, another friend dared him to kiss a girl that was very much in love with him, but that he had no desire for at all. Again, he succumbed to the request. The visions were incriminating. He was found out. A fraud. Everything he did, he did to impress. And everything he did now looked so wrong. Before this moment, he had thought of these memories as practical jokes. Harmless dares to prove his worth. But now he saw them from a different perspective. A bright light began to shine on the memories as they rewound and started over. Brennan's heart broke at the pain of having to watch them all over again, especially because there were now changes made to the memories that made them much harder to stomach. First, he saw the widow he had robbed. As her husband laid on his deathbed, about to breathe his last, he reached into his chest, pulled out his heart, and handed it to his wife. With many tears, she took the heart and placed it on her nightstand, the very place Brennan had stolen her jewelry from. You can only imagine Brennan's horror when he then watched himself enter the room and steal the man's heart. And the scene didn't change after he ran out the door with the heart. Instead, Brennan watched the woman wake up with sheer terror of having been robbed of her greatest treasure. The conviction was so great that Brennan screamed. And while he had been too drunk to remember the other memory very well, he now watched it in embarrassing detail. He saw himself as a beast. In a drunken stupor, he bullied people and threatened to beat them up. He threw himself at girls and told them inappropriate jokes and made crude suggestions. And when they tried to brush him off, he called them names he didn't even know were in his vocabulary. And then he had to watch the memory of the girl he kissed through her own eyes while feeling all the feelings she felt. She had had a crush on him since they were very young, and she never thought he would return the sentiment. Yet there he was 
about to give her her first kiss. Brennan was then ejected from her body, just in time to watch the beastly version of himself scratch her across the face and walk away laughing. The girl was so distraught that she pulled her heart out and left it on the ground. Mason, said a voice in his head, you do not need to impress me to earn my love. Turn to me and I will accept you. Mason's heart broke as some of the dirt that had left his body formed a hand and grabbed his ankle. It then began to pull his body back towards the surface. He felt so much shame. He had committed so many sins and attempts to be accepted, and now the graphic nature of his crimes had been played out right before him. He was a monster, ravaging the people around him. I, he choked, I am so very sorry. And you are so very forgiven, said the voice as dirt flew off of him in every direction. As the apology left his mouth, the hand that was once pulling him upwards disintegrated, and he began to descend further and further down into the ocean, quickly catching up with Junia and soon surpassing her. It had been evident that the weight released from him was heavier than hers had been. And perhaps in this strange place, that had somehow given him the ability to sink quicker. Mason's body eventually touched the ground, sending out a cloud of sand around him. Junia was not far behind. <laughs>